worship's good when you're like sweaty before you even walk up here. Does anybody else feel that way sometimes? Right? He's wearing a fleece tonight too. I don't, I don't know what's up with that. But. Uh, well, as Brian mentioned, my name's Lyle. Uh, for those of you who are new to Elements, uh, I'm one of the guys who you'd normally see up here helping lead the music. And so Jack wanted a week off and basically came to me and was like, hey, why don't you teach about worship? And I was like, hey, why don't we do a cliche thing? So um, we'll talk a little bit about worship tonight, but really my heart is to uh, dive a little deeper than that. And uh, it's a little academic. I'll just apologize at the beginning. That is a little bit academic, but I think you'll be challenged by this tonight. And I think that it's something that is really important for us uh, as we get ready to move, right? So how many of you guys are excited about the move, right? It's pretty cool that... Um, you know, it's it's time to start a new year, right? The year's winding down. We're getting ready to go into 2014. And so not only do we get to kind of have that new beginning individually, but as a church, we get to do the same. So it's super exciting. Um, but along with new years and new beginnings usually comes everybody's dreaded thing, resolutions, right? How many of you make New Year's resolutions? All right. Some of you. How many of you resolved years ago that you're not going to make any more New Year's resolutions, Right. So the thing with resolutions is that they, they provide nice goals for us, and usually we have these resolutions because we want to make ourselves better, right? We want to improve something in our lives. Uh, how many of you have made a resolution before that you want to get in better shape? Right? I've done the same. I remember when I was in high school, I was a pitcher, and I wanted to build some upper body strength and build some strength in my core uh, to improve velocity, right, on your push-off on the pitch. And uh, So my parents gave me a gym membership for Christmas, and guess how many times I went the next year four times four times that's it four times how many of you have had similar success with your new year's resolution to lose weight right um sometimes they're, they're better resolutions than that you know sometimes you might want to read your bible in a year uh whatever it is the, the point of it is to make your life better to improve things right and so all this talk about resolutions and thinking about that got me thinking about goals and it got me thinking about why do we gather as a church Right? What, what goals do we have when we come together as a community? How many of you have ever even thought, I should have a goal in mind when I come through the doors to worship at Elements? Be honest. Does anybody, does anybody think about that on a weekly basis? I've got someone who does. It's one of us. I know I don't very often, and I'm the worship leader. That's pretty embarrassing, right? So that's really what I want to talk about tonight is what goals do we have in gathering? And it's important for us to define as we're getting ready to launch, because if we want to make a difference in Tucson, and if we want to be impactful, then we really should have a clear-cut vision and a focus on why we gather every time we gather. Amen? Amen. So you can be responsive tonight. It's okay. I will encourage that. So uh, really, I, I want to sit in two verses tonight uh, to, to see what God says. What is it that we want to be driven by? And so if you want to pull out your smartphones, uh, I've got all my technology on stage and my Bible, but we're going to be in two verses. Uh, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, and if you want to put a finger there, uh, we're going to flip a few pages further back into Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. If you know the Bible and you know these verses, you know that they pretty much are going to say something similar. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? Let's go to Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right, so let's just look at that for a moment. It says at the beginning, whatever you do, in one verse we talk about whatever you eat or you drink, and now we look at Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, what does that exclude? Nothing, right? So God's making it pretty clear through Paul here that no matter what it is that we do, the very root thing that God wants us to, to do it, the very root reason God wants us to do those things is for His glory, right? He wants us to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could honestly spend a whole sermon just talking about that and just the implications of that for our lives, whether that be our work lives, our worship lives, uh, our personal lives at home, our relationships. Uh, but we want to go a little bit in a different direction than that because really when we see that God wants us to do this, right, we know that it's a freeing thing that allows us that anything that we do can be done to the glory of God. That's pretty incredible. Because not all of us are called to be pastors, right? Not all of us are called to be worship leaders. Some of us are called to uh, go into the workforce and to be doctors and to be nurses. Some of us are called to be lawyers. I haven't met too many people who've been called to be lawyers. But is anybody else? I'm just kidding. If there's a lawyer in the room, I love you. So uh, anyway, whatever it is that we do, God wants us to do it for his glory. And so... A lot of us understand that this kind of has to do with our worship life, right? We understand that this has to do with how we approach our time when we come to church and how we approach living our lives. But I don't know if all of us really know the implications of that and how that reaches out into our lives. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight, right? Uh, and so really, when, when you dive into that, we're, we're kind of talking about what's the root reason you do something. Um, we're going to break this down a little little more later on, but... In all of that, there's really one of two reasons that you're doing what you do. Either you're doing it for yourself, or you're doing it for God. When we come to Christ, that's, that's really, we can b- break it down to that level, right? And so, the important thing for us to know is that God's not going to share His glory. And so, if we're doing something for ourselves, uh, that's a warning sign. And that's what we want to kind of a- avoid and that's where I want to go tonight is to make sure that we don't do that and that we see what it is to actually put God at the root. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about this and that make this point. And I just want to read a few of them. Isaiah 43, verse 6 says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Right? God made you for his glory. God made you specifically to reflect him. Psalm 106, 7 through 8 says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he may, might make known his mighty power. Right? So how cool is that? That even when you're stupid, or when I'm really dumb and do the, just the normal things that I do throughout the day, that don't reflect God, God still saves me, and God still moves in my life. But why does he do it? He does it for his name's sake, right? Or Psalm, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 says, For my name's sake, there it is again, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake. That's three times he said that. Do you think that's important? For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Right? So we have a God who's very jealous and who very much cares about his name and about his glory. 
And it's not in that unhealthy way where if you're on social media too much and you care too much about what people think and you care too much about getting too many likes on your status, it's nothing like that. God cares about his reputation and God cares about how we reflect him to the world. And so I just want to ask, does that make you uncomfortable at all? Because it might. To have a jealous God, to have a God who cares about his name, right? A lot of scholars actually trip up over this. I'm not going to say that she's a scholar, but Oprah Winfrey even. Uh, she said that she, yeah, I know. She walked out on the church and walked away from Christianity because when she was in a sermon, she heard the pastor say that God is a jealous God. And she thought that is so petty for a God to be jealous. But let's think about that. Is it really jealous or weird for God to do that? Does that make Jesus the greatest megalomaniac to ever walk the earth? That's an honest question that people are asking. But if you think about it, if we look at these verses that we've read, and it says that everything we do is for the glory of God, right? If God is the most perfect being in all the universe, wouldn't it make sense that if he tells us to be God-centered, that God would be the most perfect God-centered being in all of creation? Right? Can we get an amen to that? Amen. Because if we think about if God were to to make something or value something above himself, that means that that thing would then take the title of being God. It's kind of like Highlander where there can only be one, right? There can't be anything above God. But ultimately, the key question tonight is this, and this is where where we really want to go with that. And so before I state the question, um, I just have to say that there's some heroes in the faith that have really influenced me, and one of those is John Piper. Uh, ben Stewart's another good guy, Louis Giglio, and you know all of you have probably had somebody who's really influenced you, but John Piper asked this question in a sermon that I heard probably 18 years ago, not 18, 15 years ago, that really challenged me, and it really led me to develop kind of my own theology of, of where I'm at and, and how to look at the Bible, how to look at worship and apply this to my life. And so John Piper asked this question. He said, do you feel more loved by God because he makes much of you? Or do you feel more loved by God because he enables you through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross to make much of him? So to ask that another way, do you feel more loved by God because he thinks you're awesome and does awesome things for you? Or do you feel more loved by God because after he sent Jesus to die for us on the cross, He restored a relationship that enabled us to give our lives for his sake and to live for him. You see, this question is super important. In fact, it's probably one of the most important questions that we could ask because this is what really reveals what's at the root of our joy. Where do we find our desires being fulfilled? Do we find that in Christ or do we find it in ourselves? And so let's just look a little deeply at why is this question important. Number one, it's important because it affects how we worship. It affects how we approach our faith as well. You see, nothing influences our worship more than our view of God. And so if we see God as as the root of all of our desires, we then look to God to be the one who fulfills all of those desires that we have, right? But if we expect ourselves to be the ones to fulfill that desire, how does that work out for us? It's pretty stressful, right? How many of you have worked more than one job because you had to make ends meet? How many of you did that because there were things that you wanted and you just wanted to provide for yourself, right? It can be exhausting. 
And maybe it's not even uh, a job that we want to earn money. Maybe it's power or fame or we want to be awesome. We want to build our mountain of stuff and climb the mountain and I've made it, right? We want to be there. Just to see how quickly that all crumbles away. Case in point, how many of you remember your letter jackets in high school? Right? Remember when I got my letter jacket finally and put that thing on? I was a senior in high school and I had my letter for baseball and academics. And just walking around how cool that felt in the letter jacket. And then you get to college and nobody cares at all. Right? How many of you wore your letter jacket to college? Doesn't happen. Right? So we just, we spend all this time trying to accumulate stuff just to watch it fall away. And so we can see, like, when we put ourselves at the root of that, it's just not a healthy thing to do. So, two, it also affects how we make decisions in every area of our lives. And so, if we think about it, most of us probably don't struggle with morality. I haven't had anybody come to me for advice saying, hey, Lyle, I can't decide if I should start sniffing cocaine. (laughs) When's the last time someone asked you that? It doesn't happen, right? But the stuff that we do struggle with, it's life choices, right? It's like, how do we maximize our time? How do I spend my time? How do I treat my family? Should I go into this relationship or not? You see, when Jesus is our foundation, we learn how to create filters on how to pass all this through. And when we see that God's goal for us when we gather, and God's goal for my life personally, is to make him famous, I can start with that, right? And then everything just kind of funnels down from there. And so a really great example of this is I remember being at a, a question and answer session with Louis Giglio. Uh, he co-founded the Passion Movement, and uh, they've affected just millions of college students around the world. It's an amazing ministry. And someone asked him the question, hey, have you ever failed at anything that you've done? And the room kind of chuckled at the question, and then it struck me with the humility that he, he said his answer, and he just said, no. There wasn't anything arrogant in it at all. But he said, you know what? We've been so careful to make sure that everything we've ever done was absolutely what we know the Lord wanted us to do. And so we've just seen passion as this little boat where when God tells us to move, we throw up the sail. And when the sail's up, the Holy Spirit blows and leads us to where we need to go. And when we get to that place, we drop the sail. We kind of take account of where we are and see what God's doing around us. And we just get involved with what God's doing. That was amazing. To hear that. That really struck me. And, and so even in my own life when I pray, I like to try out kind of my answers. And I got that from John Eldridge, Walking with God. I don't know if anybody's read the book. It's a great read. But uh, that's how I've approached my prayer life too. You know, I don't always have to pray, you know, when I'm deciding what I want to eat for lunch. Um, do I want to eat what my wife gave me for work or do I want to go to lunch with my friend Dan? You know, I usually go with Dan. So that's pretty easy to figure that out. But it's uh, all right. I eat the lunch on the later break. That's why I'm in such a healthy shape. So, uh, but when it comes to like maybe how I spend my time, that, that's where I do try out those answers. And so a lot of times I'll pray, God, do you want me to do this? And so if yes, then I'll think through that and I'll pray through, what does that look like? Can I bring glory to God in that situation? And then I'll try out the other one and be like, okay, God, does this bring you glory to how would that work? What would this look like? You know, and it's amazing how I found, and I challenge you to try this out. There's times where I just feel at peace with one more so than the other. And one might really stress me out, but I still know it's the right answer. And so I, even though I'm kind of like stressed, I feel that peace. All right, God, this is what you want me to do, and I know you're going to provide for that. Other times, I'm just, I, that peace comes knowing I shouldn't do something. So not only does it affect uh, our faith and how we approach our worship, not only does it affect how we make decisions, but this also affects our eternity. Because before we come to Christ, what's the foundation? What's the root of everything we do? 
This is where you say, me, right? It's you. You're the reason behind what you do. That's basic economics. That's why you've got people who make decisions that they make in offices and about marketing and all that stuff. Is they know people want to be fulfilled and they want what they want. We get that, right? That's intrinsic, isn't it? But when we come to Christ, there has to be a fundamental shift. There has to be. Where the root thing is no longer me, but we switch that over and we replace that with God. We replace that with Christ, right? And so here's a a great example of that. Uh, I work for a company that makes a lot of devices that begin with the letter I. So some of you may know (laughs) what I'm talking about. Uh, And it's a stressful job. It's a stressful environment for what I do. I help to fix uh, basically the things that you see on the table here. And man, we put so much of our lives into this stuff that when people come in, they're usually pretty stressed out. Think about it. If your phone's not working, you're freaking out, right? Because your contacts are in there. We don't remember numbers anymore, do we? We just put them in our phone. Like, we've got our notes. We've got all our email and everything. So um, just looking at that, let's look at just kind of the the pyramid here. Uh, At my job, I get rated based on how I help people. And they send out a survey, right? Most workplaces do this now, I guess. So um, let's just say someone gives me a good compliment, right, in one of those things. So why does that make me happy? Right? What, what brings me joy about that? Well, maybe what brings me joy is because it makes my numbers look good. There's nothing wrong with that. So why does that make me happy? Why, why do I want to have good numbers? Well, if I have good numbers, then management can look at that and say, oh, he's helping people out. People generally like him. He's got some influence. And so when it comes time maybe to get a promotion, that looks good on my behalf and it helps me get promoted. And so now we're starting to get somewhere, right? Because we're getting into that fishy area. What is it that makes me happy about that? Is it the fact that I get a pay raise? And so now that I get more money, uh, I can buy more of these things that I get a good discount on and continue to accumulate stuff? Or maybe I'm excited about the fact that when I get the promotion, it gives me more influence. And yeah, it does give me a little bit more money, but all it does is it gives me the better ability to bless others around me. And so I can take people out to lunch and help them out on their bad days. Or I can see a neighbor who needs a bill paid and I can help pay that bill to bless them. Or maybe with that gained influence, when someone comes to me and is like, hey man, that's awesome that you did blah, 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 whatever. Uh, How do do you do that? That gives me an opportunity to then say something about my faith and about how Christ has made a difference in my life, right? So ultimately we're kind of getting down. So if that's the case, you know, it goes one way or the other. It's, It's either about me or it's about God. But there has to be something at the bottom there. And to be born again, it has to be Christ here. Because you see, a lot of us come to Jesus, and we expect Jesus to just give us the things that we want. And we just see him as another means to an end, right? But what we're really saying when that's the case, when I keep myself at the root, is I'm going to sit down, I'm going to eat the same meal. I just expect a different butler to bring it to me. And guess what? Jesus isn't your butler. I think when Jesus died on the cross, it meant more than that, right? He died for us so that we could replace ourselves with his glory and live for that purpose. And so John Piper, when he kind of asked this question for years, one of the biggest criticisms he received is that uh, he downplayed how much God values us and treasures us. And I don't want to do that. And one of the most mind-blowing moments in my life was getting to hear him talk about this. And he addressed this. And he said, you know, people have rightly so criticized me for saying that. But at Passion 2011, uh, he, he shared ways that God makes much of us. And he prayed before that, that we would see that in those things that God is doing so, 
just to increase his glory even more and just to give us even more of an ability to love him. And so I think we'd be remiss to talk about God's glory and just miss that point and just completely downplay the love that God has for us. So I want to look at a couple of the things that he shared. And I want this to blow your ever-loving mind. I'm not kidding. I hope that this is something that just fuels us and ignites our worship tonight and as we go through the rest of our lives. Uh, But we'll keep going from there. So first one, God makes much of us by being pleased with us and commending our lives. And he does that with the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, I know that I don't pray the way that I should. I don't read the Bible the way that I should. I don't witness to people the way that I should all the time. But when I put my faith in Christ, and when you do the same, God commits himself to saying to you those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Right? He doesn't sit there and be like, you blew it. All right, come in. Right? He's not disappointed in us. He's pleased with us, and he commends us when we put our lives Uh, aside for his glory. Two, God makes much of us by making us fellow heirs along with his son. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. First Corinthians 3, 21 says, all things are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Do you see that? We get to inherit everything. The Bible says God owns a thousand cattle on the hills and just owns it all. It belongs to him. And yet John Parable, or John, I'm sorry, John Newton wrote a parable uh, that really explains the way that we go through life. And his is kind of an old parable, so we'll modernize it. But let's just say that you found out that in Denver, Colorado, there's an inheritance awaiting you of a $100 million dollars. $100 million. That's pretty awesome, right? So all you have to do is drive up to Denver to get your, your money. So you set out, you drive along. It's a day's trip, right? But let's say you get an hour outside of Denver and your tire goes flat. Just Right? You're, you're just one mile away from getting there. So what do you do? Do you get out of the car and you say, I'm just going to run. I'm going to go get it because that's $100 million and it's mine. Um, and just, right? No. What do we do? We just sit there and complain about the flat tire. And we gripe and we moan and we complain. Ah, oh, why do I have to get a flat tire? I'm about to get it. You're about to get a hundred million dollars. Who cares about the car? Just run and get your money, right? Right? It's a simple thing. But guess what? That's how we live our lives every day. That's how I live my life every day. And I hate it. I hate that about myself. I hate it. And it doesn't matter if your life lasts twenty years, eighty years, a hundred years. It's just a vapor. It's just a day's drive away. And God has promised us everything. Just think about that. Three, God makes much of us by ascribing value to us and rejoicing over us as his treasured possession. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God makes much of us by granting us to sit on the throne with Jesus. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Does that not almost seem heretical? 
I know what I do. I know what I'm worthy of. And it's not to sit on the throne with Jesus. But he promises us that if we conquer, if we live our lives for his glory, we get that offer. We have a very, very gracious God. Amen. So why does he do it this way, though? Why would God make so much of us, but then at the end of the day still say, hey, make sure you're making much of me? It's pretty hard, isn't it? It's almost conflicting when you see just the amazing things that God does for us. But we've already talked about it. That's where this kind of comes back around full circle, right? Who's the most God-centered being in the universe? It's God, right? So he does it this way because he wants to give himself more glory. And scripture even tells us this too. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6 says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see, God loves me into his family. He loves you into his family so that you can make much of his grace for eternity. 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 15 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see that? Replacing self at the bottom with Christ. He becomes the foundation of all that we do, right? And ultimately, God's drawing himself to, drawing us to himself because he's supremely valuable. There's nothing greater in the world, nothing greater in the universe that we could give our lives to It's not about endless health. It's not about endless wealth or endless anything. It's just about Jesus. And quite frankly, God's love for you that makes much of his glory is a much, much greater love for you than if he were to make you your greatest treasure. Because ultimately, we don't want to create our own version of God. And that's what we do. I hope you see that. I hope you see that when you're placing yourself at the pyramid here, at the, the root of that, you're really saying that, God, I'm, I'm up here with you. I want you to be centered around me. And that's trying to make yourself on the same level, right? That's idolatry is what that is. But in those moments when we've created our own God and we've kind of elevated ourselves to that status, you, you can't bear the weight of all the joy that you want in your life. And ultimately, you're going to kind of fall and you're going to crumble. And in those moments... It's scary because, one, you can't contradict yourself, right? When you've created your own God, that God can't contradict you. How many times do you want to lie to yourself in those moments where you want to believe the lies about yourself at least, that maybe you're not good enough or, oh, Christ isn't good enough or or whatever? It's false. And when you root your God in the God that's in Scripture here, this contradicts you. This is what tells you what's true about yourself. And secondly, though, that God can't comfort you. Because all that God can speak to you is the same thing that you're saying to yourself in that moment. That's a scary place to be. The reality is that self, no matter how glorious, will never satisfy a heart that's made for God. As Dr. Piper put it, God's gift to us is this. God says to us, I love you and you are so precious to me that I will not let your preciousness become your God. And so what do we do with all this? Right, and Jack, this is for you, wherever you're at. This is where we tie it into worship. 
See, true worship happens in spirit and in truth, right? We know that from the Bible. And so I like to think of that as fuel and flame, or maybe even theology versus worship. Because it's not enough to just have truth, right? Let's say I love truth, and I love the Word of God, and so I read the Word of God all the time. But there's no application of it. There's no worship that results from it. What happens? You become legalistic. Right? You just create a list. You see the things that you're supposed to do in this book. And it becomes a checklist that you just want to check off. Yeah, I did that. I did that. I did that. All right, God, you owe me this. Right? You see God basically as a parent who's given you a list of chores. And that when you complete those chores, you get your allowance. And your allowance is, I get to go to heaven. It's a pretty awful way to look at it. Right? But let's go to the other side. Let's look at worship. Right? We look at to worship in spirit. Well, when you've got nothing but truth, you've got the legalism side. When you've got nothing but worship, but you've got no truth to root that in, your Christian life is really only as good as your last worship set was. And if the band didn't play the song that you wanted to hear, well, then you gripe about it, and then things don't go the way that you wanted throughout the week, and so you get frustrated, and now you just don't even want to go to church. And Right? There's no truth there. There's nothing to fuel the flame. That's why you need both, right? So true worship, spirit and truth, right? You've got truth. So you've got knowledge and theology that then fuels your worship. So great picture of this is a tree, right? I'm rooted deeply in God's word. Lots of theology and all this stuff that pulls up the nutrients that results in explosive worship. Just branches that reach out to God. That's the picture. That's what we want. You know, for some of you, maybe you struggle understanding God's Word or maybe you struggle reading it. There are so many resources out there that will help you to read this and to find out about God's character and to find out about why He's able to give you all that you need and satisfy you when He's the root of your joy. There's so many people out there who make those things available. If you don't know any of those, come talk to me. Come talk to Jack. Come talk to Brian. There's so many out there. Check it out. But ultimately, right, it's the application of that. It's the worship that has to happen. And so that means that we engage in the time of worship through singing and through the reading and the teaching of God's Word on Sundays when we get together as a church. It also means we look for opportunities to serve those around us, right? So when someone's having a bad day, you look, how can I help them out? It's amazing what a bag of peanut M&Ms can do to make someone's day. I'm not even kidding. They can be regular M&Ms, that's all right. Some people have those allergies, so. But you know, when you've done this long enough, and when you've applied your life in this way long enough, people begin to see the difference in you. And that's what's important about all this, is when that happens, is it about you or is it going to be about God, right? Because in that moment, where maybe you've gained the right to influence people around you and they come to you, you can be like, yeah, I'm awesome, man. God just made a great investment in me. And so all of you guys need to just do everything the way that I do it because I'm awesome and you'll be awesome too. How many of you know people like that? <laughs> right? Or do you, do you respond to those people and say, you know what, it's just the craziest thing, but I'm living for something greater than myself. Jesus has done this amazing work in my life. I just want to make him look good with everything that I do. But ultimately, it just comes back to, to where we were at the beginning, right? We talk about goals. We talk about resolutions. And, uh, 
You know, as it says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And we have a decision to make when we see this verse, right? It's so easy to want to live our lives uh, for the things that we want. And uh, Donald Miller wrote a great book about stories. It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. In that book, he said, how good of a movie would it be if you watched a movie about someone who just wanted a Volvo? What if that was your goal in life, that you just wanted a Volvo? What movie would that look like, right? The, the person's working hard. Maybe they work at a grocery store bagging groceries. And they just save their money for a couple years. And through the movie, we get to see maybe some different customer interactions. But at the end of the movie, eventually they've got their Volvo. And they're driving off the lot. And maybe they're testing the windshield wipers. And they signal as they leave the lot. Are you going to cry at the end of the movie? Or are you going to stab yourself in the neck with a straw? <laughs> right? But the sad truth is... If it doesn't make a good movie, it doesn't make for a good life. And a lot of us are living our lives in such a way that we don't care about the story because we're not living for anything greater than that. And so when we read this first, that's the invitation that God is giving us. He's saying, look, you can replace living your life for yourself and trying to build this mountain of stuff where you're at the root of all that you want. And at the end of it, you're just going to die and you're going to lose all of it and it's all going to be meaningless. Or you can exchange that life, come over here, and you can live for my glory. And maybe you're not playing the leading role, but I'll give you a supporting role in the greatest story that's ever been told. That's the life that I want to live. That's where I want to align myself. That's where I hope Element City Church is able to align itself. And so when we gather as a body to worship, what's our goal? Do we just want to have awesome music and cool lighting? And in a couple of weeks, you'll see this big, awesome screen. Do we just want to have cool stuff? And be able to say to the community, hey, come check out the stuff we've got. It's cool. No, it's about the glory of God. It's about making Jesus famous. And so you know what? If we can play loud music and play it loud enough that you can scream your guts out and people aren't going to hear you, that's what we want to do because we want you to be able to engage in worship and engage in a big, humongous, amazing God. If that means that we can have an awesome screen that when people come in, they can see words and that helps them to engage in that, then we're going to get a big screen to make sure that people can see that. But it's not going to be about the stuff. It's going to be about the substance. And the substance is Christ. And so I hope that we can align ourselves around this goal, that it's going to be about the glory of Jesus. It's going to be about making Jesus famous in my life, in the places that I have influence right now. And as God allows us to build influence or allows me to build influence, then I'm going to use that for His glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We're going to transition into a time of communion here. So the band's going to come back up and uh, they're going to play a couple more songs tonight. Uh, But each week we like to uh, partake of the elements and just remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. And recognize how that act is what enables us to have access to the Father. And so let's just center our hearts around that in this time that uh, we would really see that all this, all this stuff that we do on Sunday night, all this just really centers itself around Jesus and about that act that He performed for us. And so God, I just pray that You would quicken our consciences to Your glory tonight.
Lord, that we would see you as being supremely valuable above all things. And that as we uh, engage in the Lord's Supper or in this time of communion, that we would remember that the only reason we can even have a voice to you is because of that moment that Jesus gave his life on the cross. And so we worship you, Jesus, and we worship you, God, that you would love us so much to make that way for us. I pray, Father, that all of us, as we come to to make goals in our lives and as we set forth, even as a church, that our goal would always be to bring you the most amount of fame that we can. So God, just help us to evaluate our lives tonight and to, to see where are we at? What's at the root of my joy? What's at the root of all the things that I desire right now? Lord, I pray that you would just work in our lives and, and weed out those areas in which we've still made ourselves the center. And God, that we would replace that with you. And most of all, God, I just pray that, that as we root ourselves in Scripture and in truth, that it really would result in a life that just explodes with praise. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you that your love for us is so great that it enables us to even be here tonight and to do what we do. And so just be glorified in the rest of this time. And so on.